While financial planning has definitely become more popular these days, it's still not center stage for most advisors. I've got Zach Hubbard, the Director of Financial Planning and Participant Engagement at Green Spring Advisors, a fee-only RIA firm. And he's up to some pretty awesome things. His firm is uh, definitely doing some things that I think most advisors are not doing. And I can't wait to tell you about them. <laughs> Welcome, Zach. Thanks, Sarah. Nice to be here. So what are you up to at Greenspring? Uh, really in the midst of, of a lot of really great work. So so from my perspective, what I do, uh, I lead our internal financial planning team. So I've got a team of four financial planners underneath me, and we we do a couple different things within the firm. So we, we house all the internal planning for our private wealth advisors doing the, the plan creation for them. But really, our, our bread and butter is our financial wellness solution, a platform called Clarity of Work, where we're providing point-in-time financial planning advice to employees at companies that we work with and, and manage retirement plans for as part of their benefits package. Oh, hold on a second, Zach. That's huge. Okay. So yeah. one of the things that I am just so upset about is the demise of the pension system in America. Yeah. You know, I am the daughter of a public high school teacher. You know, I mean, thank God my mother always had a steady job and she had was saving into the pension system. Thanks be to God. Right. Um, right. But also, I just worry so much about these systems being gone. And where does that leave the average American, Zach? So this this idea of the 401k, I feel is... Um, you know, something I don't know that Americans have particularly handled well. And then now there's this change where they're having it be mandatory that you make contributions and sometimes people don't even know about it. Yep. Um, I just feel like there's a lot of improvements that could be made in terms of having it be a more empowering experience. The 401k be a little bit more empowering. Right. You know, it is just such a Molotov cocktail given it puts so much control in the hands of the employee or the investor. And it's right. just, I don't like it. Anyways, okay. But Zach, so what, what exact, what are you doing? Like, can you just break this out in detail for me here? Yeah, absolutely. So we, in a lot of ways, it's a traditional financial wellness platform that we start with education, right? Pretty much every company out there, the major record keepers, the big financial firms, RAs, managing plans are providing some form of financial education to employees, you know, whether it's most of them are stopping at a 401k overview webinar, right? Just once a year going there meeting. We're doing some some additional stuff in terms of not just providing education on 401, their 401k plan, but also budgeting, paying for college, you know, all those, those essential things that you need to, to think about, not just retirement, but also everything that happens between day one of your career and retirement, right? There's a lot of life changes, a lot of planning that happens amongst there. But where we're different is, is we also provide access to one-on-one -on -one advice to all employees on an unlimited basis with a team of certified financial planners to talk through and, and provide and receive planning advice on any questions that they have. Okay, hold on, Zach. I need to know all about this here. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you're saying that Greenspring, your RAA firm, serves for serves businesses with 401ks. So let's say uh I don't know how large these companies typically are, but let's say there's a 50 person firm 
Yep. And they have a 401k plan. So you manage the investments for that 401k plan. You do the diligence on those funds. You make sure that the, uh, you know, that in, in accordance with um, fiduciary laws, that there is a certain yep. diversification in the funds. Okay. Exactly. So you do that for the actual company. Right. But then you also provide support on a financial planning basis to the employees. So give me an example, Zach, of what that looks like yeah. on a daily basis. Yeah, absolutely. So day-to-day, what, what's great about it and what I love about it is day-to-day, I could talk with, I could have a morning meeting at 8 a.m. with a manufacturing employee that's literally works on a shop floor, makes $15 an hour, is trying to figure out how to manage their budget, right? They're, they're probably living paycheck to paycheck. They're just trying to find a little bit of wiggle room. So we're helping strategize around how we can just create a little bit of flexibility in their cash flow. And then later in the day, I might have a meeting with a doctor that makes $500,000 a year and is trying to figure out how they're going to exit their practice, the different financial planning implications that happen around that. So the really what, what we're doing is meeting with everybody, providing access to the same quality of advice to, to everybody, giving everybody access to that financial planning that they need because Mm-hmm. Well, let's be honest, right? Re- retirement savings doesn't exist in a vacuum. And as you mentioned, the 401k system, I-, I tend to agree with you. I think the metrics that we use are wrong. Uh, a lot of times the metrics that we use are participation rates, which are great. Right? Oh, hold on a second. Let's go, over, let's go over yeah. why those metrics are wrong, please. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Okay. Participation rates. So what, what are the, how do the metrics come about, first of all? Who decides on the metrics? What are they used for? How often are they reviewed? What is that whole thing? Tell me about yeah, it. Yeah, so generally there, there's a, a level of best practices metrics, right? So things like we, you know, obviously the they, hold on that the plan sponsor reviews with the right. 401k provider, the record keeper. Who does the plan sponsor review it with? Yeah, typically we're doing with the record keeper and the advisor. So when we're meeting with plan sponsors, we're usually having a rep from the record keeper on the call as well to, to kind of do that comprehensive review. And it's really for benchmarking, right? To say, hey, where do you where do you compare to your peers in terms of overall employee participation rate? How how are your you know, how's your fund line performing compared to, to what your peers might be investing in? What do your fees look like compared to your, your peers? All those things. Okay, wait, hold on, Zach. Let's slow down plans. here. I'm sorry. Yeah. So you as the financial advisor, you meet with the company and the record keeper. What exactly does the record keeper do? And I'm sorry for all of you listening that already know this, but I know that no, there are fine. people who don't. So I want yeah. to make sure everybody gets this. Yeah. What, what are the different roles in the administration of this 401k plan that are critical? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. So there's really, so there's three, right? So there's a plan sponsor. That's the company. They're the ones that make the plan available, right? There you are. The ultimately, they are the ones that bear the primary fiduciary responsibility for the plan. They're the ones that are responsible for ultimately making those decisions. They typically will have a committee. Uh, we we advocate for a signed committee charter and some indemnification agreements for those folks. But those those typically five to seven people are the fiduciaries for the plan. They, they are solely responsible for making decisions about the plan and responsible for hiring advisors, record keepers, all they're like. What they tend to do is they'll hire a financial advisor like us, like Greenspring in to help offload some of that decision-making or some of that responsibility that they just don't have the expertise to do. Like things like investment performance monitoring and, and lineup creation, things like we actually do provide some help with, with monitoring the record keeper, making sure that they're doing what they're supposed to be doing, delivering the best experience, negotiating fees with the record keeper, uh, things like that, that are, 
typically a little bit more challenging for folks that are working in other roles day to day that aren't 100% focused on uh, 401k administration, right? And then the record keeper, I, I, I like to refer to them as kind of, they're like the back end mechanics, right? They're, that's where the money goes. It's where participants are going to go to actually manage their account, make changes, updates, anything like that. So they're there as kind of the facilitators of the the actual plan itself. So when we, everything that we implement, the changes that we implement, anything that we we recommend has to go through the record keepers or the mechanics to actually put it in place. They work with the custodian? They are the custodian. Record keeper is the custodian. Typically, yep. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So how frequently does the plan sponsor, usually the company, is the usually the company is the plan sponsor, but not always. Right. Okay. How often does the plan sponsor meet with you, the financial advisor? Every company is a little bit different, just like private clients, right? Every, everybody's a little bit different in terms of meeting frequency. Usually it's it's between one and four times per year. Larger plans might be quarterly. How are you five. defining a larger plan, Zach? So for us, that's going to be typically 50 million and up in terms of plan assets. It would be considered a, a larger plan. Anything okay. 50 million and low, so between like 10 and 50 would be a kind of a mid-sized plan and then 10 and below would be a small plan. How big are those plans in terms of employees? A tip, like $50 million assets plan is yeah. how many employees usually? Usually they're going to range between a few hundred and a couple thousand, depending on the type of company. Your, your professional services firms will typically have higher account balances per participant. So they'll have usually smaller uh, participant counts, but higher account balances. So those those plans will be a little bit larger. Hold on a second. So professional services uh, you would say, for example, like a law firm correct, would yep. t- tend to have, because people may be earning higher salaries, able to put away more of that exactly. as savings. So exactly. higher balances, lower. Okay. But then yep. if you're looking at like for Walmart, not saying that's your client, I have no knowledge of any of this, but let's suppose right. Walmart, lower balances, people with less discretionary income, less right. to save after taxes come out. Okay. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. So you meet with them one to four times a year, Zach, and you're saying the conversation should be changed because typically it's focused on participation rates. What's the gripe with participation rates? So I don't have a problem necessarily with participation rates because I do think it is important that people are saving for retirement. What I what I don't like and what I what I focus on, so I don't I don't do the actual retirement plan meetings. I frankly I have no stomach for ERISA. It's it's too much. There's too much complexity there. I don't. It's so boring to me. Uh-huh. Uh, what I like is meeting with people one on one and doing the, the advice. But for in my opinion, what because we're chasing participation rates, the easiest way to increase participation rates is just to opt people in, right? So you do automatic enrollment. People when they when they become eligible for the plan, unless they choose to opt out, they're swept in, right? And they're automatically contributing, which is great for their long term retirement success. But what we run into a lot, especially with our you know, lower earnings clients where your average earnings rate is, is lower. You have people that are making hourly rates that are probably living paycheck to paycheck, right? Their pay's not keeping up with necessarily what inflation has been. They're contributing to a retirement plan that they really don't know anything about and they're not saving anywhere else. So they're ending up taking loans. They're taking money out when they leave the company. They're, they're really actually doing more harm than good, in my opinion, because they've been opted in. So, so in what is great is that they're saving for retirement and they're starting to build a balance. But the negative is there's no, there hasn't been traditionally and what we're trying to fight against is enough education and planning around, Hey, here's what you should do versus what's just the default 
for the plant. So, so my, my sort of fight where I, where I butt heads a little bit with, with our, you know, institutional consulting advisors and other advisors as well. It's like, we can't just stop at automatic enrollment. We have to provide the advice. And that's what we're doing is provide the advice and the education around why it's important to save for retirement, but also how you can effectively save for retirement without killing your budget and having to take money out of that plan. Yeah, I love it. And what are some of the suggestions that you're typically making in order to help people be able to do that, to save more for retirement without killing their budget? Yeah, right now, my big emphasis is on emergency savings. You know, what, we, what we've kind of come across, right, COVID was actually great. Like if you look at the stats, uh, all the, you know, all the, the, the uh, stimulus checks that we got, right, actually boosted savings balances pretty significantly. And those that were able to, to kind of keep it and not use it were great. But we're starting to, people are starting to deplete those savings balances again. So they're, they're kind of getting back down to zero. They're running out of savings. So my, my first step, is let's not put anything into the 401k plan or maybe you put 1%, but a very small amount. Whatever else you have available to save needs to go into an emergency fund. We need at least a couple months of savings so that you can comfortably save more into the retirement plan. Even if it means we take a step backwards, right? We say, hey, we're just not gonna do, we're gonna do zero for a couple of years. And then when we get, when we're comfortable, when we have an emergency savings built up, then we're gonna do, maybe two, three, 4% more than what you were planning to do initially, right? Instead of doing maybe 1% to start, let's just wait, build an emergency savings, and then we can do 5% once you have that emergency savings built so up. You're saying like recommending that people do not, that people opt out of contributing to their 401k so that they can build an emergency savings. Right, right. Until, because if we don't have that foundation, right? If we don't have that building block of safety, right? Of, of short-term safety, then- it doesn't really matter what we can say. going to get yanked anyways. Yeah, right. You like, could do that now with the Secure Act, too. I think right. up to $2,000 or something like that, you could take yeah. it out. Yeah. Mm. That's a whole other story. I don't love that one either. But, you know, I, I like emergency savings in a bank. I don't really like a retirement plan in any way being viewed as emergency savings. But, um, amen. You know, frankly, like, sure, our, our 70 year old self might feel great that we started saving 5% at 25. And, uh, but if we're taking that out along the way because we don't have any savings anywhere else, then does it really matter? Probably not, right? Does the company match get, well, I guess it depends on the vesting schedule. Right, right. Some people may say, well, you shouldn't, you should always put in the 401k because the company matches. But I, like if they yank it, does the, it depends on if it's vested or not. The the right. match might get yanked too. Right. So. Yeah, and, and, that's, and that's my argument as well. You know, it, it is, a lot of times we'll look at it and say, well, the, the, the sort of the common advice is, well, you should at least get the company match, right? Well, sometimes the company's matching all the way up to 6%. And if I'm somebody making $20, $20 an hour, huh? 6% of my pay is a meaningful, I mean, it's a meaningful amount for everybody, right? But for somebody that's living paycheck to paycheck, I don't have 6% to, to save. And so it'd be nice to get the match. Absolutely. Like I said, my 70 year old self would be super happy that I, that I did that over time, but my day-to-day -day self, I'm going to be struggling. I might be racking up credit card debt that's earning, you know, costing me 25% plus in interest or 30% at this point, right? I might be taking money out of that retirement plan over time because I don't have any savings. Anymore. So, so it, to me, it's like almost like a tree fell in the woods type of question, right? Like if, if a tree falls in the woods, it make a sound. If somebody's saving for retirement and they're just taking it out over time, did they actually save for retirement? Probably not, right? I mean, they're just taking it out and then paying taxes on it. And it could be even worse if there are withdrawal fees. 
Right. I mean, there's 10 percent penalty. If, there's, if it's pre-tax, it's going to be taxable income. So now you're talking about at least 30 percent withheld because there's a 20 percent mandatory withholding. Then you're going to have withdrawal fees on top of that. Right. So it's just not it, it, at the end of the day, if we're not helping people first understand what they can afford to save and what they can reasonably save, then it doesn't really matter what how much you save. And that I love that you can be so objective to do that. Because right. I know that a lot of times there's this emphasis. I'm not trying to diss on AUM advisors, but there is this emphasis on get the money into a vehicle that I could manage or manage at some point, like stash it. Because, it, I mean, and it's an unconscious bias even, I think, that a lot of AUM advisors might even have. So are, so are you AUM or flat fee or what? So on the retirement plan side, we're flat fee mostly. Some smaller plans are, are more AUM based just because the, the economics don't work out for them for a flat fee. But most of our, our accounts, and if you look at kind of the retirement plan business across the whole, most good retirement plan advisors are, are flat fee at this point. So it does create a little bit more objectivity where you're not looking to increase the level of AUM in the 401k plan because it, you get the same compensation either way. Okay. Right. What okay, so back to this sorry conversation about metrics that I think we've been veering away from, but this is just such a great discourse here, Zach, and I'm thankful. What would you suggest that plan sponsors look at in addition to participation rates? And I'm sorry if we already kind of went down this road a little bit, but let's just review. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's tough to say what a what a good metric is. I'm not con- I'm not really sure there is a perfect metric right now that that employers could actually track without getting really personal with their employees, which most most of us don't want our employers getting that personal with our, our finances anyway. Uh, but for me, it would be something around, you know, moral, I, I don't really, honestly, I, I don't know. I, I'm still working on figuring out what that metric is. Uh, I think it's probably somewhere more along the lines of, of general comfort, right? If we can measure how comfortable are you with your finances and making financial decisions or tracking improvement in financial situation over time, whether that's, I, I mean, it, it could, you know, probability success score is not really great for that because that's still focused on retirement, right? So trying to, I, I'm not sure, I'm still trying to figure out what the right metric is for that. I, I think for us, it's more about, or for me anyway, it's more about, are we helping employees feel better and are they happier and more productive at work? after taking our advice and understanding better understanding their financial situation that to me is is the value that we provide is it's not increasing the participation rates necessarily in, in retirement plans it's an easy metric to track what i'm interested in and what i think our real value is, is is much harder to track there's not a there's not a perfect metric for it well i think that comes back down to the employer being connected with the employees on this Right. And there's such a disconnect because the 401k plan is a benefit at the end of the day that's mm. supposed to enrich the employee's life and make them feel better about working at the company, just like having really good health insurance does or having a really good company culture or paid time off or whatever. Right. So I, I think it's a definitely subjective, but I would love for there to be more emphasis on the understanding of what the people's emotions are towards their job or their employment or their money as a result of going to work at this company that offers this 401k financial planning counseling service. Right. 
Yeah, and the companies that get it are starting to really focus on that shift. The ones that are our most engaged clients where we're meeting with the most employees and they're, and they're having us really, really kind of ingrained in their culture. They understand that if you look at productivity metrics, people that are experiencing financial stress are significantly less productive at work than those that aren't. And 75% of people are feeling financial stress at work. So it's it's a big number, right? It's a, especially for larger companies, it's a big hit to bottom line if, you know, 75% of your workforce yeah, isn't, yeah. isn't focused. Or I mean, if I've got to run every day, if I've got to bolt at 445 because the daycare closes right at five right. and they're going to charge me extra and they don't go light on that when they do things right. like that, right? Yeah. Like, exactly. The daycare, exactly. So, right? So, yeah. Or, you know, employees, I mean, how many times have we heard the story of somebody not being able to get to work because their check engine lights on in their car and they can't afford to fix it or they get a flat tire and they can't afford to have somebody come out to fill it up. Right. Or, you know, I, I mean, I, I personally, you know, my, my individual story, I mean, I remember times when I was just starting out a lot younger, trying to kind of figure things out. There were times when I struggled to get to work because my paycheck hadn't cleared yet. Right. And I couldn't afford gas in my car. So, you know, that's, that's, th- those stories are out there and they're happening with much more frequency because of where we are economically and inflation wise. And if you don't believe that your employees are productive while they're at work, they're definitely not productive if they're not even at work. Right. So, so we need to make sure that people have the financial stability to be able to actually get to work, even as a starting. I love my country. I love America so much. I I love what we are and I just can't, it really shakes me to the core to think about this. The average person, the travails that they go through and that life just doesn't even seem financially feasible sometimes right. for the average person. Like, right. like the the core, the core of America, our wholesomeness. Right. You know, like hardworking construction workers that go and build roads, nurses yep. that, that 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 save people's lives. Yeah. And and then so ironic that, I mean, this is a di- little bit of a different tangent here, but then you see like the Instagram influencers that get up there and dance and are earning, right. earning like three or the gamers. Like, not, I mean, look, I know that they have skill too, but these, I mean, look at the people that are, yeah. that are, uh, okay. Yeah. So Absolutely. Zach, what, what, I mean, what does this look like from your point of view as a business for you to offer this financial planning service in concert with 401k services to small businesses or medium-sized businesses, whichever, like, how does that look financially? How does that look like from a profitability standpoint? Like, can you provide me any insight into like, what, what does it really mean? The meat and potatoes of setting one of these up? Yeah. Yeah. So from a, uh, Profitability standpoint, I'd say it's it's a relatively profitable aspect of our business. The, the retirement plan business is always going to be a little, because it is flat fee. It's a little bit less profitable than your your typical private wealth AUM type business. Um, that is, as we know, and I know you're you're a little bit on the the not necessarily anti AUM, but a little bit against the AUM side. Like there's that's a highly profitable business. There's a reason that a lot of advisory our advisory businesses are set up that way. I, from a participant advice side in particular. What we strive for and, and what maintains profitability on that side is not 100% utilization every year. I mean, if we're working with a company that has 5,000 employees, we're not meeting with 5,000 people every year. Our goal is 100% utilization when there's a time of need. So 
it's it's much more structured or, or the best way to think about it is it's almost like a financial EAP, right? When people have an issue or they want to talk through, they have questions about finances, they have a big decision to make. We're there as a resource to provide them with that advice and planning around making that decision, how to structure it, how to build it in with their financial decision. So in any given year, we're not meeting with, we have about 60,000 participants that roll up to our, our platform. So in any given year, we're not meeting with 60,000 people. We're probably meeting with you know, between two to 5% of that of that population. But each one of those is a highly impactful conversation. So that that helps to maintain some of that, that profitability there is, is that we're not, if we were meeting with 60,000 people, it'd be a much, much less profitable business because the overhead increases significantly. We'd have to have significantly more staff to be able to accommodate that, that level of meetings. Why do you think more financial advisors, RA firms, don't do this? Yeah, I think so. There's a couple of objections I, I commonly hear, and I'll, I'll tell you right now, I'm pounding the table on, I'm a big part of NAPFA, uh, fee-only planning firms. I, I actually did, gave a talk this year at the NAPFA fall conference on this specifically and why more advisors should do it. I believe every advisor could and can and should do this, especially fee-only advisors, but the common objections that are here at one time, right? People are worried about the time suck of trying to meet with, you know, hundred, even a hundred additional people over, over and above their current client load. If you look at, you know, most advisors are somewhere near their, their ideal capacity. So the idea of adding a lot more new clients, if you will, right, that they're meeting with is challenging, or at least they view it as challenging. Um, the other, the other challenge for a lot of folks, I think is, is understanding the pricing, right? How do they, how do they charge for it? How do they how do they structure it uh, and how do they staff it up? Right, and most advisors aren't. You know, if we're being frank, right, most advisors aren't really all that great at being managers of people. Right, they are very good at helping with people with planning, but they're not great at hiring and and maintaining a team and especially building out a totally separate business line. Is for especially a lot of smaller advisory firms is something that that is too daunting to overcome. Right, they just want to kind of focus on the business that they're in and the clients that they have, and not really worry about building out a whole different uh, line of business. I find it ironic that there is a concern about having to spend more time on clients when A, on every financial advisor's website, you are not going to find an RAA firm that says, we will pay attention to you but only until it doesn't make sense for us. Right, right. One. Yep. Two, my clients, I and I think this is probably true for everybody who's an entrepreneur, are the greatest source of ideas about how to innovate and make things better. Right. Feedback about process, people, products, questions that I then use for my marketing. Right. Referrals. Sense of self-esteem about being an entrepreneur. Yeah. Positive energy, feeling the job is rewarding. Like at 1130 at night when I want to like take a shower and go to bed and I I extend, right? Because I feel like an allegiance, right? Because I'm connected. Right. Right. So I just wonder why that would even be 
a concern. I could see, I could see it, but I don't know why it's not. Well, this would be a significant increase in time spent per client relationship, but here's, but it's important. And here's why and how I will change it. Right. Right. Yeah. And, and my, my argument to a lot of advisors that I talk to, if you think about what's the core client for a lot of financial advisors, especially smaller RAA firms, it's typically some form of small business owner, right? I mean, that's, that's kind of the bread and butter client for a lot of us. And in my opinion, it's an easy ad to say to those small business owner clients, Hey, I know you own this company. Here's something that we can do for your employees that I know you care about for the most part, right? For, I mean, ideally most business owners care about their employees, right? And they care about their, their health and well-being as much as ours as their own. Right. And we can say, Hey, this is one, one thing that could really be beneficial for your employees. I'm, I'm happy to meet that with them on a on-demand basis and do some planning for them as they're navigating certain issues. But also because of the the nature of of the way financial stress impacts productivity and, and the bottom line, it's also beneficial to the client themselves, right? The business owner themselves, if their employees are feeling better, more productive, more loyal, willing to stick around, one that's going to cut down on your hiring costs because you're not going to have to continuously hire new employees if you have turnovers an issue. It also means that your employees are going to be more productive, which as a small business owner, especially if you're a hundred percent owner of a hundred percent shareholder of a business. That impact, the increase in the bottom line benefits your finances, right? I mean, it, it ultimately that comes, that flows through to you. So it, it is beneficial to those clients as well. To me, it's a no brainer for, especially advisors working with small business owners to go to those clients and say, hey, all this planning I do for you, I'm not going to do that, that level of comprehensiveness for your employees, but I am willing and, and able to be available for them when they have questions, when they need advice, when they need planning. I want to make sure that they're getting that service and that they're you know, if you're, if you're willing to, I'm, I'm happy to, to make myself available to them. Well, I would just think that any time that a, any way that you enable a business to pay more attention to its employees in a positive way, right. I just don't see how that could be negative for the business's bottom line. Right, right. I mean, at the end of the day, people want go to work to get paid, but they it, and but the salary isn't all that it is. Right. If you could find them and educate them about ways to do more with that salary, right? I mean that that would have, that could be such an a, a driver of loyalty. Right. People well, want even, to be paid. They want attention. People want attention. Right. right. <laughs> And, and even just a better understanding of the overall benefits package, right? Like when we think about most of us, when we think about what we're getting paid by our employer, it's, it's just our Like you just think about your salary, what comes home on your paycheck. You don't think about what they're paying towards your health benefits, what they're contributing to your 401k when you're contributing on a matching basis, what they're paying for in terms of insurances, right? You, you don't think about all that. So when people, we, we, what I've seen a lot, especially recently with the, I mean, the, we all know the labor market's insane right now. You can pretty much fall down and find a job. You can trip over, you're going to trip over a job when you walk outside, right? So people are actually are leaving companies for that higher salary, right? They might be getting $10,000, $20,000 more per year, but they're also getting significantly less in benefits from the comp new companies that they're going to. And, and what I've had a lot of conversations with folks with recently is, well, hey, do you, like, do you understand 
yes, you might be getting more in, in per paycheck, which for a lot of some people is, is great, right? That's all they need is just a, a boost in pay. That's what increasing income is one of the best ways to tackle most major financial issues that, that people are facing on a day-to-day basis. But comparing benefits packages is a really important part of that decision-making process. And that's something that we help people with as well, is just understanding like, hey, you, you might go to this new employer where you're going to get a $10,000 per year increase, but you're going to be paying maybe $200 more per month in health insurance because they don't cover nearly as much as your existing employer does. Right? And, and there's a lot of there's a lot of other factors that if you can just help people understand what their total benefits or total compensation package is, I think that also improves loyalty to the company as well. If they, if they can understand what, what they're actually earning or, or it might do the opposite, right? It might say, Hey, like maybe we need to increase our benefits package because you're not keeping pace with your, your competitors. Yeah. I mean, I think there is a little bit of resistance on the part of plan sponsors to actually open the hood, so to speak. Right. Right. I, mean, yep. I think there, I've heard financial advisors be very frustrated trying to get conversations with HR or trying to open these types of conversations with business owners. So I would just hope that 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 they're willing to do the right thing as well. Yeah, well, and and it helps when you can prove that it's going to help, right? I mean, I mean, if you come to them with under what what are where a lot of times we, we run into issues or, or where folks run into that hesitation is when you don't demonstrate actual value, right? I mean, we know it on the private wealth side perfectly well, right? If you're not demonstrating value to your clients, they're probably going to leave, right? If they're going to leave you for another advisor that promises probably the same things that you're doing, they just don't know that you do it. So if, you, if you're trying to go to an HR team and say, hey, will you give me your benefits package or you know, give me every all this information without also demonstrating what you're going to do with it and how you're going to deliver value to their employees and their company based off of that information, you're, you're probably going to strike out because they well, first of all, HR professionals are might be the busiest people on the planet right now. I mean, they have, they have so much going on. They are incredibly stressed. But also, if they're if you're not proving any benefit or proving any any you know any real any tangible thing that that you're going to deliver to them, then why would they take the time out of their already insanely busy schedule to give you any information if you're not showing them what you're going to do with it and how you're going to actually add value to them and into the firm. And so now what's this about that you have some kind of a career track um, planner development program or something like that? I'd love to hear about yeah. that. Yeah. So one of my other passions uh, is developing new new professionals into the career, trying to get people into financial planning and get them into it the right way and save them from the, uh, the starting point that most of us go through, which is starting at a big broker dealer or an insurance company and then finding our way over to the fee-only place. Um so one of our, as we internalized financial planning, one of the things that we, we did is we created a, a role that we call financial planner. And that's an entry level role uh, for, for kids straight out of college, straight out of financial planning programs in the area where they're coming into the team. They're learning financial planning from the ground level. So they're building out the financial plans for a private wealth team. They're doing. Tax- oh, so hold on. So you're actually yeah. teaching them? Yep. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you're not yeah. just having them shadow? Nope. Nope. Yeah. So it's a. It's a true kind of apprenticeship type program that we're, we've structured for them. So they're coming in, they're learning the actual planning, they're learning how to do the tax projections, the insurance projections, all those different things that you need to do as part of the planning process. And they're learning it, you know, our, our way, right? The way that we do it, which of course we're biased, but we, we think is is the right way to do it, right? Um, and then they're also, once they, once they get comfortable with the planning side, they're also starting to take on some of those participant conversations as well. Some of the 
like, hey, I need help with enrolling my plan or, or rolling over an account, things like that. So what what I believe is the benefit of that is is folks are, are going to leave this role, the financial planner role with 200 plus in one on one conversations under their belt. So they're they're stepping into maybe an advisory role or something, someone with a role in the firm with a significant amount of experience talking to people, understanding, addressing questions, different types of questions, different types of conversations. And they're going to walk into a financial advisory role with a much more robust understanding of not only how to do the planning work, but also how to talk to people and how to understand and, and better drive planning results and outcomes. What was your impetus for creating this? Yeah, so so it's kind of, I would say, threefold, right? One is, of course, we need the staff on the team to be able to continue to support the growth of our financial wellness platform and, and the financial planning team and the firm as a whole. The second is, is we needed a pathway for young advisors to come in or, or young folks to come into the business without being put immediately into a sales role, right? We, we didn't want to just continue that cycle of throwing college kids into this role of like, hey, you, you got to produce, right? You got to go out there, you got to find clients. Um, and so we we sort of, as we as we understood, as we, as we were kind of building this out, we were like, you know, what's, what's the right way for people to come in and start learning this? And we kind of looked at what our most successful advisors had done and how they had kind of come into the firm. And they all kind of started at this grassroots planning level, right? Really learning the planning and mastering the planning before they started really taking on client relationships and going out and being responsible for that, that selling and, and all that. And, the, and we looked at the folks that weren't successful, right? And, and the, it was the opposite, right? They kind of came in, they were immediately told to produce. So we don't want to be that firm where guys are coming here and it's like, hey, call your friends and family, uh, call everybody that you know and, and bring them in as clients. Otherwise, you're going to be out of here in two years. We want to make sure that, that we're building a true pipeline of high quality financial planners that are going to be able to deliver the, that that level of advice that, that our clients expect and that we expect our clients to receive. And it's the same concept that if you want people to be happy, you have to take care of them. Right. Exactly. If you want your employees to be happy, you have to pay attention to them. Right. Right. You have to give them the tools so that they can actually make a better life for themselves. And I know that not everybody is going to, that you're going to take risks. And on some people, those risks are going to have been in vain. Right. But overall, I just really love this, Zach. I, wow, this is inspiring. I'm so glad to hear that you're not accepting the status quo because these kinds of things could, if done effectively, could make a major difference in the world. Right. Yeah. And that's the goal, right? I mean, our, our goal is to be, you know, to have that impact. My my personal goal, my, my personal mission, right, is, is to have that, be able to walk away from it whenever I decide to walk away from it and say, man, like, look at all this, look at the impact that we had on not just the the industry, right, not, not just the profession, but also on hopefully millions of people's lives because they're better because they've had access to planning advice, whether it's through us or through an advisor that I can to do it, right, or, or that they've had the ability to become a, a financial planner, or financial advisor. Zach, thank you so much. I'm so glad that you came forward to be on my show. I mean, I think I did one of those like crazy, I post so many crazy things to LinkedIn. Right. I think it was like some crazy posts, like who wants to be on my podcast? Yeah. If you're doing anything interesting, let me know. I mean, that was like the posting. And I had it really, to be honest with you, like didn't really have an idea that this was going to be what this podcast was about. So thank you so much, Zach. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Thanks for having me. It's been great. All right, Zach. So how can people reach you if they want to? 
Yeah, so there's a couple ways you can find us. Uh, if you want to, you can reach out to me on LinkedIn. It's just Zach Hubbard, Z-A-C-K Hubbard, comma CFP. Uh, or you can find us at greenspringadvisors.com. It's greenspringadvisors.com. That's our website. Uh, you can find out more about our firm and, and all of our information there. Zach, I mean, I really, I really got to tell you that this isn't just like a conversation for me. Um, like I said, like I really, you know, I am from a working class family. Um, you know, my father was a veteran. My mother was a teacher. And um, I, I, I love my country. And I, I really hope and pray, Zach, that efforts like this will increase in magnitude. And I'm hoping that all of you listening to this are inspired to perhaps think about doing things a different way and one that is more conducive to strengthening the fabric of America, of our beautiful country. It means so much to me personally, Zach. So thank you for this message and everybody, please, I hope you'll tune in for the next time. And just please, if you'd kindly uh, reflect upon what we've discussed here today, I'd be very grateful. Thank you, everybody. Just a reminder that nothing in this podcast can be interpreted as a product insurance or investment recommendation of any sort. Nothing in this podcast can be interpreted as legal or compliance advice. For any recommendations specific to your or your client's personal situations, please consult a consultant, advisor, or attorney.